Thank you so much for being a listener of the Deep Believer Show. We love our listeners, we pray for our listeners, and we love to hear from our listeners. So if you have anything you'd like to say, if you have any testimonies, or if you have any questions, leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. Again, we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being a listener of The Deep Believer Show. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. Are you tired of Christians fighting over the rapture, whether it's pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, Oh my goodness. Well, guess what? I'm tired too. But our guest today, Alan Dubray, tells us that guess what? We're all right. He's actually going to touch on the mark of the beast, the temple, and so much more. And guess what, guys? It's not what we've expected. And he says he can base it all on the Bible. He's going to go deep into it today. He'll have your mind blown. He had mind blown too. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I am excited. A number of us here in our ministry, we are so excited. We've been uh, praying to to start reaching many, many more for a long time. And uh, as this is kind of winding down to the time we're all looking forward to, uh, the timing couldn't be better. Alan, tell me this. When I spoke to you, you went really deep into information where I said to myself, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, he may be right. I mean, you even touched on how uh why different books of the bible or different gospels are directed to different people which is why there's so much confusion amongst the 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 saints and amongst the church so tell me really quickly how did you even get into end time study and very quickly man you're asking a hard thing for me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah my the people who know me will laugh at that one for sure but um How it happened was, um, you know, I'd been a Christian since my mid twenties, and but I was just kind of, you know, neither here nor there. Just you, you probably classify me as sleeping church, um, but I w- I had started watching end time stuff. I kind of started listening here and there, and I would I was interested in end time things with uh, like Chuck Missler and and things like uh, and people like uh, Perry Stone, and these guys just started coming into my feed on YouTube as I was seeking these things a little bit, but, you know, reading the Bible and King James, I was just like these, that was, I mean, oh, my head was splitting reading it. It's not at all like that anymore. And what had happened was Chuck Missler in one of his videos spoke about Genesis chapter six. And he said that there were giants in those days and they were with the women. I was like, what, what Bible is he reading from? So I went to read it and I said, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. And that just started my journey. It was about, I don't know, maybe eight or so years ago. But all I had done at the time was like many, I would just make notes in my Bible, you know, made a couple notes here and there. Uh, and that was pretty much the most of it, except for watching videos here and there. Well, in June, uh, or sorry, in January 2017, I decided I would start a YouTube channel uh, called Ministry Revealed and just got on my knees and said, Lord, Thy will be done. Use me. And if I can help one, just repeating things that I've heard pastors and everybody teach, 
even if I just repeat some of those things, maybe I'll reach one because they'll hear something different. That was it. Um, I didn't do my first video until June 16th, 17th. It was a two-part video on the Mark of the Beast that we'll get into in a bit. And uh, well, we'll get into it in another way a little bit later on. But what had happened was that first video, I spent a week studying and then I did the video in two 30-minute parts. And I showed the connection that a company that had, who, who was making the chip um, was an RFID tracking company. They merged with a credit, uh, credit report company and they merged with um, financial, with uh, health records. And so they were also involved with government agencies and a Google executive. And so I had detailed all of this, but there was one very important thing that this company also had. And back in June of 2017, <clears throat> I had never heard of this before. And I don't think any of your listeners had back in 2017. And that was that PCR machines, I said, this company was involved and had the technology and the devices that were called PCR machines that they would use to track people with viruses to test them going in and out of countries and that it would seem like a good thing at first, but the question had to be asked, what was a company with the chip technology who was making chips, who had merged with these other companies, working with other government agencies, what were they doing with the technology to track people for viruses going in and out of countries. Back in 2017 in June, nobody had heard of that before. And I didn't, I, it was just following the trails. And so that was the first video. And lo and behold, little under three years later, everybody has heard about a PCR machine as of 2020. <clears throat> Every, many people have used the PCR machines or had to use them to go in and out of the country. And so you can understand our, our, not angst, but our excitement, our trepidation, our, uh, you know, that the time is at hand. And so it wasn't that this was the mark of the beast. It was that it was technology and the implementation that was leading to the coming mark of the beast. And we'll get into that in a little bit more detail in a bit, because when we get into that, we'll be talking about the discourses because in the discourses is where we find out two different temples, okay? And many of us know it throughout history that there were two types of temples. Well, what was, remember Ecclesiastes 1.9 tells us what was shall be and what is shall be. So that means like Old Testament was, shall be, and New Testament from Christ until the moment of the pre-trib escape is the is that we're living in. So was and is shall be. That, that is very, very powerful when you understand it because all those things that played out over thousands of years are going to play out in a condensed period of the end of days, which is why Mark says their time at about the mid portion of Mark in, in, in his discourse says it'll be a time worse than it ever was since the creation of the world up to that point. And then Matthew's, says it'll be worse at that point than even Marx. We'll talk about that in a bit. And <clears throat> that it will never be worse than that again. And there's a reason why Matthews is different. And so, you know, it, that was kind of, that was the beginning in my first video. 
And I had done like many people, we were watching for the Revelation 12 sign. And I was just doing videos like everybody else, you know, looking for the sign. <clears throat> but on September 8th, 2017, I remember the moment it happened. It happened in a video. I talk about <clears throat> how Revelation chapter 12, verse 5 says, was caught up. And everybody would point to that to say, was harpazo, was the rapture. And I thought, oh, that's so exciting. But then it dawned on me as I was in Luke 21 doing the teaching and relating it to uh, Revelation 12, it dawned on me that the Perry Stones and everybody in the past that I had listened to, that Isaiah 66 verse 7 told us before she travailed, she brought forth. And when we go to Revelation 12 verse, verse 2, it says that, and when she was coming to bring forth, that she what? She was travailing and in pain. And then verse 3 talks about the dragon and a third of the stars into verse 4. And then verse 5 says uh, uh, the rod that would rule and the was caught up. And I thought, whoa, wait a second. That's not a, that's not a pre-trib rapture. That's, that sounds like the end of seals. Well, Alan, let's get into that. I want to get into that really yeah. quickly. Okay. So you said the reason why there's a huge group of people who believe in pre-trib, a huge group who believe in mid-trib, and a huge group that believes in post-trib is because three gospels of the four are speaking to three different people. Could you right. elaborate on that? Because when you said that, I never thought of that. I'm sure... Um, a lot of the, probably most of the viewers have never thought of this. So could you just tell us who the Gospels are talking to and the reason why you have, we have so much confliction amongst one another as Christians? It is, and, and this is the most powerful revelation. Now, from this comes an incredible amount of revelation. And we've received hundreds from Genesis to Revelation from this. But <clears throat> it had to begin with this first key. And what it was, was the revelation of who the Gospels are speaking to. Uh, it's the key theme in all of our teachings because it reveals everything else. And what you come to realize is the pre, mid, and post. Like, how is it that pre, mid, and post are all seen within scriptures and everybody debates among them? Well, we've also got three synoptic Gospels. We've also got uh, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, every, all of these things come in threes. And what do we have? <clears throat> well, we had the house of Judah. We had the house of Israel. And we have the Gentiles and the bride of Christ. Well, as this started to reveal itself, and I, and I realized something was going on from the Revelation 12 and Luke 21 and Isaiah 66, I started looking into these gospels more. And back then, again, I had just really started to read the King James and the Bible in, 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 on, on my own. And I didn't even know that Mark had a discourse. That's, that's how I had no idea. So I had to go and do a search to find out that Mark 13 was his discourse, but there wasn't one in John. And what you realize is that it's the synoptic gospels, excuse me, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And all of our lives for centuries, including in the seminaries where the pastors are taught, they're taught always from the gospel of Matthew as the foundation of all teaching. 
And they take a little bit from Mark and they take a little bit from Luke in relation to the Synoptic Gospels. And they, they try to say, well, this is a viewpoint from here. This is a viewpoint from here. And Matthews is the one we're using because they're all essentially the same. And it's just a perspective. You know, I remember Perry Stone would say, you know, if there's a group of 300 and I said 100 here, 100 here and 100 here, it would just be a perspective that we're looking at. That they're just seeing from here, they're seeing from here and they're seeing from here. And that's how they, I call it explaining away because instead of just admitting that it's not understood, they'll say that it's simply a perspective. But you can't explain that perspective when, for example, uh, when they go to Jesus at the resurrection, one of them sees one angel. And another one, it says there were two. Well, that's, that's a discrepancy that can't be understood by simply saying it was perspective. It was either one or it was two. Which one was it? You know, another one would be um, in the Synoptic Gospels again with the story of Jonah. You know, Jesus says that he would be, as Jonah was, a 40-day warning to Nineveh. In Mark, he says, oh, you guys just want a sign and everything. No sign shall be given to you. And he gets in the ship and he leaves. And then in Matthew, he says he'll be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth as Jonah was. Well, that's a serious discrepancy. Because how does Mark have nothing? As if he said, oh, he never told them anything. When clearly in Luke he did and clearly, clearly in Matthew he did. Those cannot be explained by simply saying points of view. And so what happened is I start going into the Gospels. And here is one of the most beautiful ones that we have that we like to use all the time. And it's called, we even got a video on it, called Revealed in the Robe. And what it is, is Jesus's garments. Okay, <clears throat> this is what we first talked about. Uh, when we first when we first met was in luke's gospel when you see that he's going to the cross right he's brought the Pilate and so forth we see that he was arrayed in luke in a gorgeous radiant robe which means white beautiful radiant just very bright white robe when you go to luke and you read the story in luke this is a major discrepancy because it says that he was arrayed in a pur in, in purple garment you say, well, wait a second. Why is that one purple? And then you go to Matthew, and Matthew said that he was arrayed in scarlet or crimson. And you're like, what is going on here? This, this is impossible that there's, there's three different colors. It's not simply perspective. Which one is it? And as soon as you read that, my, as soon as I read it, the first thought was, wait a second. A bride is dressed in beautiful, gorgeous white robe. Purple and scarlet are tribulation colors that the beast, right? The, the, that the woman arrayed in purple and scarlet who rides the beast. And I said, what is going on here? And so I, I kept digging into it. <clears throat> and it came to be understood and revealed that the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And Matthew was first, and we're talking about the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew was first, Luke was last. And it just so happened that Luke's was the one with the gorgeous white robe, Mark's was purple, and Matthew's was scarlet. And we said, well, wait a second. We know that most people in, in, in studies and in seminaries, they know that Matthew was written to the Jews, right? Matthew was there, Matthew was a Jew, and they, they know this. Yet we've all been taught from their perspective. 
not realizing who Mark was written to, not realizing who Luke was written to. And we said this earlier, it's not that it was done on purpose. It's that it just simply wasn't in the timing until God was ready to make it known. It wasn't revealed because here's the thing. If everybody knew, if the, t- if the, if the pastors, if the churches for the last several decades or 100 years had been teaching the understanding of who the gospels were speaking to, nobody would have had a focus on Mark or Matthew at all. And we would have all been looking to Luke. Because Luke is the pre-trib bride of Christ. Mark is the sleeping church, is the rapture of the great multitude, the Revelation 12:5 after the sixth seal and before the seventh. Isn't that interesting? It's at the end of the sixth seal. Then chapter seven says, then this happened. And then it was the seventh seal. And everybody thinks that the rapture of the great multitude is before tribulation. How is that possible if it's after the sixth seal? You see, it's right. It's after the sixth and it's before the seventh. So clearly it's at the end of seals or towards that end of seals. And when, when you see this and you tie it in, <coughs> excuse me, with, um, with the tribulation colors of purple and scarlet, you start to realize that, oh my goodness, this great multitude, you know, many people have been speaking about the, the greatest revival coming a revival that's going to make all revivals before seem like they were nothing. They were so small in comparison. They're absolutely correct. Unfortunately, it's going to happen during the tribulation of seals. But during that tribulation of seals, it will be the greatest revival in all of human history. Many will perish for it, but the majority will still have made it through. Alan, now is that the revival everyone keeps talking about? Absolutely. And that's going to happen during the tribulation. It's going to happen during the tribulation of seals because it's for the church. It's, you know, and a lot of people would say, well, no, no, it's the great multitude rapture. We all go or none of us go, they would say. Everybody who believes, who professes they believe in Christ gets to go. That's not what the Bible says. Well, I'm glad you say that because I was raised like that too, how they said either if you're born again Christian, everybody just goes and that's it. But then as you keep reading scripture, what, what did it for me was reading uh, Revelation chapters one through three. And I'm like, it doesn't sound like all of them are gone, you know, at, at that, you know, as a pre, you know, That's rapture. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll let you continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no. Jump in anytime you want. <laughs> Your show. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what you end up realizing is that Mark is speaking to this sleeping church. Oh, sure. They believe but they haven't been living him. They're not in Christ. They're somewhat in Christ. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later when we go to 1 Corinthians 12, because that is the revelation of it in a nutshell in Paul's visions and what happened to him. So what you end up realizing is that the the sleeping church, the house of Israel, the the Gentiles grafted in, they're what what we call the world. The world in scripture is the house of Israel. And the house of Judah is the Jews. So you have the house of Israel, which were the 10 tribes. They were to the north in Samaria, and they went and mingled and mixed throughout the whole earth. Judah stayed to the south for the most part. And who is in the land right now? It's not the, it's not the house of Israel. The house of Israel is the world. So when they came back into the land in 1948, 
who came into the land? Jews, the house of Judah. It, they, I don't even know that they, uh, from what I recall recently, they, they don't have the ability to even know who is from the house of Israel because the lines have been so diluted, but they can know the house of Judah. So even though they're in the land of Samaria and in the land of Judah, it's Jews that are there. Oh, yes, sure, there are Gentiles and there are uh, Arabs and so forth living there, but it is Jews who formed it, who found it. And that's why they say, you know, there's what, 14, 15 million Jews on the earth right now. Why don't they say as plentiful as the stars? Because that's the house of Israel. <laughs> so what you realize then is Mark being that portion, we're going to get into more clarity of it as well, is it's as if, like we were saying, like you mentioned a moment ago, the, the belief that everybody goes. So if you just claim you believe in Jesus, you get to go. That is the idea of being at the end of seals, which would mean it's like being at the end of Mark's gospel. So if the bride of Christ is pre and it's Luke, the rapture of the great multitude after the sixth seal and before the seventh is like being the end of Mark. Then what do pre-Christian, what do, what do people in the church now, all churches, I believe just about all churches, they would say the tribulation is seven years and it's Jacob's trouble. So we all go pre and it's seven years of Jacob's trouble, which is to Matthew. Really quickly. So are you saying, because you're about to blow everybody's mind. Are you saying <laughs> that the tribulation is not seven years? That's where we're going. Yeah, <laughs> that's where we're going. Is it longer or shorter? And we'll leave it at that. It, we'll is, let you continue. it is definitely longer, but I'm going to let everybody know, don't turn it off. Don't turn the channel because the fact that it's longer is a blessing. It means you don't have to wait seven more years before the quote unquote pre-trib that the world thinks is pre-trib. You see, if you're at the end of Mark, as the church believes, they think there's seven years left for Judah. They think it's seven years left for the Jews. Because why? They're the church and they've missed the fact that Mark is to them. So they think it's as if they're thinking they're at the end of Mark and everybody goes, which is what the end of seals tells us. And then it's Jacob's trouble, which is trumpets. Well, really quickly. See? Everybody's, or not everybody, but a lot of Christians knows of the term jacob's trouble we can all say it we see it all the time the time of jacob's trouble you explained it so well for a lot of us who don't know who just repeat what we've heard in, in services and teachings and all that what exactly is jacob's trouble and what does the bible say about it how does it link to um to jacob times? himself uh-huh <laughs> that's what you want to go to jacob himself well i'll, I'll lead into that by first help helping people help make another point within the gospels in relation to their differences of matthew mark and luke or the truth luke mark and matthew in the end and that is when jesus is on the cross jesus is on the cross we all know i asked you this last time when jesus is on the cross we all know my god my god why have you forsaken me when you go to mark you read the same thing my god my god why have you forsaken me when you go to luke do you remember what it says Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. 
Whoa, that is very different than Mark and Matthew. And the word forsake in the Strong's Concordance means why have you left me behind? Was Jesus left behind? No, it was prophecy. And those are the first two gospels, Matthew and Mark. Matthew and Mark are saying, why have you left me behind? Uh While Luke's group is being saying, Father, take me into your arms. Wow. It's the pre-trib and Mark and Matthew being left. (laughs) And we're going to get into, you know, why it's such a blessing. Because when you realize that it's not only seven years and that it's twice as long, it's not a bad thing. You see, because when you realize that Matthew's group is the Jacob's trouble, it is, is his seven years, and you realize that Mark's group is seven years and Luke's group is the pre-trib, well, guess what? It follows in cycles of seven. And this isn't a mystery. They're Shemitah year cycles, right? Seven year Sabbath year cycles like Leviticus tells us. So in Leviticus, uh, what is it? Leviticus uh, for the land rest, right? Six days thou shalt work, the seventh is rest. Six years and the seventh is rest. 6,000 and the seventh is the rest of the millennial reign. So it's everywhere in scripture. And this is no different. These final two sevens, which are seals and trumpets, are actually the final two sevens of a jubilee cycle of seven years times seven years. And then the 50th is the jubilee. Now, if there was only one seven left, and so many people talk about the sleeping church, right? Many people will say the sleeping church and so forth, those who are missed. Well, if the tribulation was only seven years long, then what about those who are the Gentiles who missed the quote-unquote pre-trib rapture? And there was seven years left for who? For the Jews. Well, if there's seven years left for the Jews, what happens to all the all the Gentiles that are left? There's no salvation for them? There's no, what, they're just going to proclaim and, and, and then they're saved, but the, the Gentile time is over? There was never an explanation for us as to what happens to everybody else? What happens to the rest of the world who wasn't ready yet? You see? And that leaves a big, that left a big question as well. Could you just go to the Jacob's trouble, like how that term even came to be about in the Bible? Um, well, Jacob's trouble, they get it from um, Daniel chapter 12. And when you go into Daniel chapter 12 and you see Michael fights against the angels and so forth, right? Michael is there with you, the one and so forth. You can associate that to Revelation chapter 12. You see, if the rapture of the mid-trib great multitude is that Revelation chapter 12, verse 5, and the very next verse in 6 that we start to read about, 6 or 7, it starts to talk about Michael fighting with his angels, fighting against Satan and his angels, and it says that it'll be 1260. Well, what, what is that portion of? Well, we know we're at the beginning of trumpets. So Jacob's trouble is the seven-year period of time for Judah. And this is where we're saying the, the church is correct in that discernment of it. But what they have failed to understand is that everything they've been reading comes from a foundation of Matthew. So they might go into Luke a little bit. They might go into Mark a little bit. But 90% of everything they relate, scripturally, end times, whatever it is they relate, 
always comes from a foundation of Matthew, which means they're looking through the lens of Judah. Even though they're the house of Israel, they're looking through the lens of Judah. So when they say there's seven years left of Jacob's trouble, they're as, it's as if they're at the end of the gospel of Mark, which is the end of seals and the great multitude rapture of everybody comes in. And then they're seeing the seven years that comes for Judah. So it is seven years, but that seven is not seals and trumpets. It is seven years of trumpets, which are Jacob's trouble. And it's that midpoint when Satan loses his battle in heaven against Michael and his angels, and they get cast down at the fifth trumpet, which is about mid trumpets. When that happens, that's where Daniel chapter 12, I'm not sure, verse seven or so, goes in to say, um, and he's saying, oh my goodness, how long is this going to last? You know, and the angel that's standing on the water and on the land, he says um, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. Now, what we've all been told is that that equals three and a half years because it's the same as the one in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, but it's not. The one in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14 says that it'll be for a time and times and half a time. The one in Daniel 12 is missing a word and. So what you find out is when Satan is cast down and how long is that terrible time going to last? It's going to last for one, two and a half years, not plus one, two plus a half. So it's two and a half years before the Lord returns. After six years of trumpets, he returns feet down on the Mount of Olives. And you say, well, what about Revelation chapter 14, uh, chapter 12, verse 14? There's one year left then because it was three and a half years they were told. That's because at mid-trumpets, they're taken away into the wilderness to a place protected until the end of the 14th year. And when that final year is over, which is what? The days of Noah. Remember Matthew's discourse? In Matthew's discourse, it's all the tribulation. It's all about trumpets is what it is. And then when they shall see him coming, on the clouds, I'll, I'll explain something there in a moment as well, on the clouds, and then it says it'll be as it was in the days of Noah. So if he comes at the end of the sixth year of trumpets, he's coming to fulfill the final year as Noah. How long was Noah's time with the ark? One year. That's the answer to as it was in the days of Noah in Matthew. It has nothing to do with the beginning of tribulation. In Matthew 24, it's all about the final 14th year after he returns feet down on the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> it is awesome to understand. But as we, as we continue to build into this, I mean, where we just jumped to there was, was the second half of trumpets after the first three and a half year battle in the heavens with Michael and Satan and so forth. But what is happening during that first three and a half years of trumpets? The city and the streets, and the temple are being rebuilt. What, do, what does the church tell us now? The church tells us that the seven years of Jacob's trouble, the whole church is gone, and then they're going to start rebuilding the city, or rebuilding the temple, and at the midpoint, Satan is cast down, who they also call the Antichrist. We, they're separate. We spoke about that, right? 
they're separate, but they will tell us that it's the same one and that he's going to come and wreak havoc and he's going to stand in the Trump in the temple and proclaim himself to be God. <clears throat> well, they're partly right in that, but their timing is all wrong because they missed all of Mark. They've, they've sandwiched seals and trumpets together, or they've said three and a half years of seals and three and a half years of trumpets. It's just not the case. And when you understand this, you see that it puts them at the end of Mark and Matthew's time is starting and the rebuilding of the city and the streets takes place. And once it's rebuilt, Satan is cast down, destroys them. They flee for the final three and a half years. Satan rules for two and a half. The Lord comes back, destroys them. It's the final year. And then their millennial reign. <clears throat> The problem with that is all of seals was not a part of that. And so the church, when the church tells everybody that it's seven years and it's Jacob's trouble, the Jews agree with them. The Jews say, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to build our temple. That's what's coming next. The temple is going to be built first. So the Christians are telling them, the Christian leaders are telling the Jews, the temple is coming next. And so the Jews are just so adamant that the temple is what's going to be built next. I'm glad you mentioned the temple because the church, we always assumed that the temple would be a physical temple built during the tribulation, correct? But you say it's That's otherwise. Right. What is it? It's both. It's both. So what is it? It's both. What, what? is it? <clears throat> and this is where, again, we can go into the discourses that prove this out. It's so beautiful. When, when you realize that Mark is seals and it's a sleeping church and you realize Matthew's discourse is about trumpets and we just covered the Matthew portion briefly, when you go into the Luke one before, uh, when you go into the Mark one, before we go into the Matthew one, we see that there's an abomination of desolation that takes place in Mark. And the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel in Mark says that is something, um, where it, uh, um, uh, standing where it ought not be. Well, the word standing, when you go into the Strong's and you dig into it, can also mean placed, to place where it ought not be. When you go into Matthew's discourse and you read the abomination of desolation, it says standing in the holy place. That's a discrepancy. They'll try to justify, oh, it means the same thing. Well, then why doesn't he just give us one gospel and put it all in one gospel? See, there's a reason for them. And when there's a difference in wording like that, there's a purpose and a reason for it. And the answer is <clears throat> in, Daniel's, in Daniel's book, in chapter 11 and in chapter 12, did you know in, in 11, it talks about one abomination of desolation? And in 12, it talks about another abomination of desolation? Just so happens, Daniel speaks about two abominations of desolations. And there's one in Mark and there's one in Matthew and they both speak separately. You see? And what's the answer? Well, during the time of seals, which is to the sleeping church that will wake up during this time of, of incredible desperation. Uh, like we had said, you know, when 9-11 happened, the churches were full for about six months and then, about six weeks. And then everything started tapering off. We know that it's great desperation that causes people to turn to the Lord. And what greater desperation than the beginning of tribulation, than, than the tribulation of seals, and then the Antichrist coming. And we've talked about this. It's not that God is allowing tribulation to, 
to beat everybody up and try to kill everybody. He's doing it out of love. He's trying to wake up his church, his group that he came for, the house of Israel, you see? Because Christ said he came, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So if he came, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, why would the bride be a part of that? She wouldn't. Because the bride is the one with the spirit of God in them. And the ones with the spirit of God were already ready. They're the ones that are taken out. They're the loot group. It's those who were asleep who weren't prepared who he's coming to save. So where's the Antichrist going to live? Where is he going to reside in? And so the Antichrist, it will be a person. The Antichrist will, it is a system, but there will be somebody who will head it. And we see that all taking place now, right? This global everything coming into, coming into the mix. But it won't really take off until after World War III. That's right. World War III is coming. And it will be shortly after the escape, which I believe is this year. We'll talk about that in a little bit. When I say escape, I'm talking about pre-trip. And um, the reason I do is because of Luke's discourse. Luke says, watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You see, Luke, on a little side note, Luke said to escape all these things that shall come to pass. Mark and Matthew said what? Of that day and hour knows no man. Luke didn't say that. Luke said, watch and pray to be accounted worthy to escape all these things. Mark said, you won't know. Matthew said, you don't know. And everybody, because they read Matthew, goes and says, nobody knows the day and hour. Nobody knows the day and hour. They don't understand who Luke is speaking to. Otherwise, they would understand. You could understand. So what ends up happening is with the Antichrist, after World War III, so much desperation, so much crying out to the Lord and seeking the Lord, that when the Antichrist steps forward to continue and receive that 42 months of power, he's going to have control over everything. There will be that person in control over all of it. And when that happens, there will be this mark of the beast. There will be this worshiping and this imagery and so forth. Well, what period of time are we in? That will be during seals. It'll be about the midpoint of seals. So what period is that? It's the church age. We're still in the church age. We're coming to the end of the church age. We're coming to the end of the time of the house of Israel. And so where does the Lord reside? Where does, where does the Lord reside right now? In, in Christians. In us. He resides in us, right? He's uh, in our us. Temple. We are the temple. So the bride is gone, but the temple of the Lord during seals, the church is still there. So he is still dwelling within or will be dwelling within the temple. Okay? So here's the beautiful thing. When you see the typology, it is mind-blowing. And that's why I know you really want me to get to this because what happens is we know the mark of the beast will be in, like we were talking about with the mark, or it might be on. It might even be some type of tattoo. But it will be this mark defined by people just in desperation. They're going to be so desperate after World War III and famine and everything that the majority of the world will accept it. But the Christians won't. And that will be the time when they flee like Mark's discourse says, at the abomination of desolation, because that thing that says standing where it ought not or placed where it ought not is the mark of the beast in what? The temple, which is flesh and moves, right? It's a portable temple of flesh. So are you saying the Antichrist- What does that remind you of? 
us with the Lord? Moses. Oh. Well, the you know first what? temple uh-huh. was Moses's temple, which was covered in skins and they ported it. They, it was portable. They could take it around and it was covered in flesh. It was covered in skin. So are you saying the we Antichrist like is going to reside in those who are the mark. mark of the beast? And it's not That's going right. to be a physical temple in that sense. That's right. It will not be the physical temple because the church is still the, the body of the Lord. And so the Antichrist is going to come to corrupt the temple of the Lord, which will still be a body, a, a temple made of skins that is portable. It's so awesome. Now, <laughs> here's the other part of it. The Jews know that there's a physical temple coming. They know it. They've been wanting it forever. They understand in their scriptures that a physical brick-type temple, stone temple, is coming. And the Christians will tell them, hey, it is coming, and that's what's coming first. So they've, they've twisted. This is what I usually do. They've twisted it all up because they don't understand who the Gospels are speaking to. So they don't understand the portion of seals to who and trumpets to who. So they, they've missed that <clears throat> this physical temple is also coming. And when the physical temple is built during trumpets, that is when Satan is cast down, which is Matthew's discourse, which said standing where it ought not, or standing in the holy place. Well, isn't that fitting that at Matthew's discourse, standing in the holy place is because at mid-trumpets, the temple will have been rebuilt. And when he loses his battle in heaven against Michael and his angels, and they're cast down and the pit is open, he takes over the temple. And he will step into the temple and he will proclaim himself as God. You see, we know this because there is Antichrist, there is false prophet, and there is Satan. And a lot lot of people say, no, 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 Antichrist really is Satan. No. Antichrist is powered, empowered by Satan, but they are three separate. And the answer is, is so simply found in Revelation chapter 16. In Revelation chapter 16, it says, and I saw three frogs come out of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Three. Meaning they are three separate, not one. And this is what we were saying earlier. Everything is in threes. Pre-mid post was is is to come. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the discourse in the in the Gospels. Everything is revealed in threes, and so the end of days is going to first be about the church age coming to an end, the sleeping church waking up and resisting and coming against the Antichrist, who is going to try to indwell through the mark in the current temple of the Lord, which is our bodies. And those who survive, those who resist, those who, who, if they're caught, are willingly lose their heads, are beheaded, whatever, as we know, will take place during that time. That is the portion of seals. When end of seals comes, the Antichrist is killed, just like Daniel 7 says. The Ancient of Days comes, he kills the Antichrist, and the rest of the beasts have their time prolonged. And then one like the Son of Man comes to him in his kingdom, dominion is given to him. Okay, that's the end of seals. That's why at the end of the sixth seal, we see the we see uh, at the end of the sixth seal, it says, "Hide us 
from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the wrath of the lamb at the time of the wrath of the lamb has come. That must mean he's coming at the end of the six years of seals. And that's precisely what happens. He's coming on heavenly Mount Zion. It's that stone from Daniel chapter two, that mountain carved without hand that crushes the beast system and destroys it. It's, it's heavenly Mount Zion that the Jews have been waiting for and this process of rebuilding will take place. And this rebuilding that takes place in Jerusalem, you got to say, well, why is there a rebuilding that's about to take place in Jerusalem? What happened that they're going to now rebuild the city and the streets and the temple? Why, why does it all need to be rebuilt? Why not just the temple? Daniel says all of them need to be rebuilt. The answer leads us all the way back to the law in Leviticus chapter 26, well, 25 into 26, because the Lord told them when they come into the land, right, with Jerusalem, that the Shemitah years, right, the seven times seven for the 49 years, every seventh year is supposed to be rest for the land. Well, since they've had Jerusalem just over 50 years, they never allowed it to rest properly. They've been disobedient within the land, which was what we wanted to talk about as well. And in that disobedience, the Lord cannot build the temple. So while the Jews are thinking that the temple is what's about to be built next, it cannot be built until they've been removed from the land for seven years to make up for the seven Sabbaths of years that they never allowed the land to rest for. Okay. All right. And I'm glad you went into that because I asked you recently um, about 1948 and how you said how the Bible says that the land is supposed to be preserved for a while after it's re re regained, correct? That's right. Uh-huh. So could you just touch on that? Because a lot of us don't even know this, um, how the Jews were supposed to not even what harvest from the land or grow anything on the land? <clears throat> Yeah, they weren't allowed to take it for themselves uh, for a certain period of time. And this is after and 1948, right? During that that's period. right, from 1948. Okay. <clears throat> and when you, when you see the timing, it is so awesome because it lets you know it's the, it, this is the only year. It lets you know the cycle is this year when we're talking about the 14 and above 14 years. So what happens is um, there might have been other ministries that I just haven't heard of or different languages, but when the 70 years passed from 17 into 2018 and the 70 years was over, have you ever heard anybody talking about 70 years of Israel anymore? They stopped. No. Nope. Everybody stopped. Everybody was talking about it like crazy prior to because Zechariah won. Uh, 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 Zechariah 7, uh, Daniel 9, Jeremiah, uh, Psalms. It's everywhere that it had to do with 70 years of Israel. So, excuse me, so if it was 70 years and 70 years passed in 1718, uh-oh, prophecy isn't true? Prophecy isn't going to play out with 70 years? Or did we miss something? And I knew we had to have missed something. And so for the next three years, 
we were, you know, maybe it was when they came into the land and, and they didn't officially have a government till 49, but they had one, um, but they came into the land in 48. And so that you start saying, well, maybe it's this. And, and you're looking at that and you're trying to make this count. And it wasn't until late 2020 that in the revelation of the two seven years remaining that we've known now for over four years that it's 14 years. Now, what's we 14 know years? What's the tribulation. So because we know it's seven years of seals and seven years of trumpets, we took the cycle and we went back seven years of Shemitahs. And so as you go back seven years of Shemitahs, you know, we, we still didn't know the, the year that the Lord was, was relating this to in scripture until, like I said, late 2020. And what had happened was we were shown in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 23 and 24, it starts with saying, when you come into the land and shall have planted all manner of trees, okay? Trees can also relate to people. They're, they're a typology of people. So when all the people start coming into the land, right? But it's also fruit and so forth as well. When you come into the land and planted all manner of trees, you cannot take from the fruit thereof because it is as uncircumcised for three years. And in the fourth year, it is wholly brought to me. And the word there, it says, is wholly brought to me to praise for all. And the word praise means a celebration of harvest, is the Septuagint word, uh, is the Strong's Concordance word for praise is a celebration of harvest. And so what you realize <clears throat> is in late 2020 into early 2021, I had looked at that to discern that it was three years. And so when three years are fulfilled in 2021, then it could be at that time because day one after three, you're in the fourth year. But we realized, no, it was the fourth year and it's not four until the anniversary of four, which is what? 2022. So look at what happens. They came into the land in 1948. So from 1948 to 1949 is one year, 49 to 50, 50 to 51, 51 to 52. And then what does the verse 25 say in Leviticus? The fifth year forward is yours now to eat from. So it means from the, the fifth year, you're now 70 years begins. So you had three years you couldn't take from it. The fourth year you give to, you bring to me and it's a harvest celebration. And then the fifth year forward is yours. So what happened now from the fifth year forward, which was 1952 plus 70 years, 2022, which makes us right now without question, according to scripture in the 70th year, according to the Shemitah cycles of the Lord makes us right now in the 70th year. So if we're in the Shemitah cycle, Soon as this Shemitah cycle ends, it would be the next seven and then another seven, which means the tribulation of 14 years must begin by the fall feasts of trumpets of 2022. Whoa. Wowzers, trousers. Because huh? there's only two sevens left. Now, this is why it's awesome. Wait, Alan, so like you're just rolling <laughs> on like it's just like, oh, matter of fact, tribulation is going to start this year. <laughs> we'll just keep going. 
it is and i'm gonna prove it out a bit more sink in so okay so (laughs) you're telling us that the tribulation is going to start this year you believe based on according to scripture Uh yeah so it is lined up to this year and we can prove it in the physical i'm sorry people need to get ready and we could show it in the physical because the jews have tracked Shemitah cycles for hundreds, probably thousands of years. They have tracked the Shemitah cycles. And they have told us that this year is the Shemitah. So from the fall feast from Tishri 1, so September or so last year, to September of this year, we are in a Shemitah cycle. Now, there are pastors out there, Mark Biltz and so forth, that will say it either has to start this year or it has to be in seven years from now. You see... Here's the, here's the issue, which is why they can't bring it with more clarity, is because if you don't know the truth of the 70th year, there's no way you could really know. You're kind of guessing whether it's this one or is it the next one or, you know, which one is it? Yes, it needs to be on a cycle of seven, but what about the 70-year understanding? Well, check this out. Jews have known their cycles and they've traced it back, I believe, thousands of years. And when you go look at it, when they came into the land in 1948, 1948 to 1949, 1949 to 1950, 1950 to 51, 51 to 52. Do you know what year 1951 to 52 was? A Shemitah cycle. Do you know what that means? Remember how we just said the fifth year was now theirs to take? It meant when they came into the land in 1948, there was four years left in the seven-year cycle. What did the law tell us thousands of years before they came back into the land? Three years they couldn't take from it. The fourth year was to him, and then it would be their 70. Well, in 1948, when they came into the land until 1952, it was four years years before the new cycle began and in 1951 to 1952 was the seventh shemitah years in the cycle and from 52 to 53 from the fall feast of 52 to 53 was year one of the new cycle and the 70 years and guess what that 70th year even in the physical of our existence right now when they came into the land that 70th true year ends at Elul 29 to Tishri 1 of 2022, which is the 26th to 27th of September. And do you know what the Bible tells us about who goes first? Paul told us, remember? Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when you put on your end time understanding, when you, when you don't read it as was or the is of the event that took place read it with the understanding that it's giving us prophecy in the is to come knowing that pre mid and post are all true what does pre mid and post mean it means a taking a taking and a return now really quickly now how will the mid mid trip people be raptured because you said it's going to be three raptures so how will the mid uh well it'll be two raptures and a return Okay. So remember with Matthew, that's why it's so interesting. When you go to the end of the gospel of Matthew in in chapter 28, and you go right to the end of it, do you know what it says? Oh, is it 28 or the end of, yeah, the end of 28. 
So right at the end of the entire gospel of Matthew, it says, and I am here with you always until the end of the world. That was prophecy. Oh, you could read it in the now and say it was spiritually, he's with us always, which is true. But he was speaking to Matthew's group. And when you understand that, he's saying that now I'm here with you always until the end of the world, because he's there now till the end of the millennial reign. That's what it was about. When you go to the end of Mark, see, you can go to the end of Luke and it says he was carried up after his resurrection. In Mark, it says he was received up. In Matthew, it says, I'm here with you always until the end of the world. It's all of them are there, pre, mid, and post. And so when we go to 2 Chronicles chapter 12, it says right off the bat in verse 2, it says, I knew a man in Christ. That's important. I knew a man in Christ, whether, uh, whether, whether in the body or out of the body, because Paul, you know, it was an experience that he had. And he says how that he was, uh, uh, what was it? Such as one. Well, the word such as one means like. So it says, I knew this man such as one who was caught up. Uh, such as one, sorry, such as one caught up to the third heaven. Well, the word such as means like. So he says, I knew a man in Christ who was like a harpazo and taken to the third heaven. But do you know what it said right before that? That this first one was taken above 14 years. Above 14 years. So if the final two sevens begin at the fall feast in Tishri one of this year, then there's a period of time between now and the end of September called the above, which is the pre-trib like a harpazo that is going to go to the third heaven. And do you know what he says in the next story, the next few verses? He says, and I also knew such a man he didn't say like, because the first one was in Christ. That was the bride. The second one is the typology of, you know, they're like similar to, but they weren't as passionate, you can say. So like, uh, 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 like being in Christ. And it says how this one was caught up to paradise. You know why that's really interesting and how it really caught my attention? This was the first piece of scripture that revealed the 14 years to me after I understood the, the revelation of the Gospels. <clears throat> because you see that term says, was caught up. That term was caught up is the exact same term used in Revelation chapter 12, verse five, when it said, was caught up. They both are referring to going to paradise. When Christ was on the cross, he was in the middle, like the bride, right? Then you had the one to, well, to his right, and then you had the one to his left. And the one to his right, he accepted Christ, right, in Luke's gospel. And what did he say? You'll be with me in paradise. You see, he went to the third heaven, he went to paradise. Where's the bride of Christ going? The bride of Christ is going to the third heaven at the pre-trib rapture before the 14 years begins, which according to scripture, which according to the biblical counts, which according to the thousands of years equals September, late September of this year is the new cycle 
of the next seven with one more seven to go after that, which represents seals and trumpets when you understand who the gospels are speaking to. And so the first one is in Christ, like a rapture, goes to paradise. Oh, sorry, sorry, goes to the third heaven. The second one is similar to being in Christ, is raptured, it was the harpazo, and they go to paradise. And then Paul says, later on in the verse, he, in the chapter, he says, and now the third time, I am ready to come to you. But this time, I won't bring any trouble or tribulation and so forth. And who is he talking to? He's talking to Judah. So he's talking as if a typology of Christ. And at the 14 years, at the end of 13 to that 14th year, what is he saying? I am now coming to you. And what do we know about Matthew? When the Lord returns feet down on the Mount of Olives and it's all done, and they're brought back from the wilderness at the end of the 14th year, he's now establishing them. They will all receive their lands and it'll be the millennial reign. Wow. All of these things we can do from Genesis to Revelation. I could do this for weeks on end. It is so exciting, but it all begins with who the gospels are speaking to that will then reveal to you that we, we, because we've misunderstood the gospels, we've misunderstood the timing of tribulation. And when you understand that it's all because we've been taught from Matthew, you realize that how the church teaches is as if they're at the end of Mark, not realizing that they still have to go through Mark because they are Mark before they all get to go. And it's Matthew's time that starts. And it's revealed also um, in the discourses. So I'll, I'll add this point as well. In the discourses, when Jesus is seen coming, in Luke's discourse, he tells us, uh, starting from verse 25, right? Then you shall see these uh, signs, men's hearts failing them for fear of looking after these things that are coming upon the earth, right? Then it says, then look up for your redemption draws not, right? And it's about the coming of the Lord. That's the pre-trib bride of Christ, which means, I believe it's going to be between the 15th, 14th, 15th to the 22nd, 23rd of June. Of, wait, June on, of this year? Of this year. Okay, so that what my, I haven't heard from the Lord. Opinion. It's not a thus saith the Lord. It is not, um, uh, 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 I haven't had dreams or visions. It has all been revelation of scripture. And we're now literally at that point where the revelation of those four years are literally into the reality that we're living of when they came into the land, proving that we are in the 70th year. And Daniel told us 70. Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah told us 70. Psalms 90 and 10, we can touch on real quick too, because Psalms 90 and 10 said, from 70 to 80 years, right, shall be sorrow, pain, travail, and then soon, which means a short period of time. I believe that that's about six months. So you've got 10 years, you've got six months approximately, and then it says we fly away. Many people would say, oh, that's the rapture. No, it's not. That's the Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, when they fly away on the wings of an eagle into the wilderness for the last three and a half years of time and times and half a time. So you have seven plus, uh, 70 plus 80, that's 10, plus six months, that's 10 and a half. Then they fly away because they're cut off. And they're gone for three and a half years. What's the total? 10, six months, three and a half years is exactly 14 years. And you see, the reason that's been so twisted by many 
they'll say, oh, well, it's, it's three years and then seven. Well, that's not what it says. It says 70 to 80. So the reason it was all twisted and misunderstood is because people didn't understand that there was four years first. And now we understand that. Let's go back to when you said that you believe that the pre-trip rapture will happen June of this year. So what do you say to those who the first thought that came to their mind was, but the Bible says, you know, I'm about to say, no man knows the day or the hour. So what do you say? About I say, that? go read Luke. Okay. So it's all about the revelation of the gospels. You need to understand Luke. And this is where we were saying, if we go into the discourses and we saw in the discourses that when you read Matthew and when you read Mark, in the discourse at Jesus' coming, it says, but of that day and hour knows no man. Well, in Matthew's, it talks about the days of Noah. In Mark's, it says, nobody knows the day or hour, so always be watching. And it says nothing about Noah. In Luke's, it says nothing of either. Excuse me, it doesn't say Noah. It doesn't say uh, nobody knows the day or hour. Luke's gospel in his discourse says in the same place where there says that, Luke says, want, don't be caught up in the cares of this world so that you, you get caught unawares, but watch and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. There's, there is no day and hour. Wow. I never no knew that. conversation of, of it whatsoever. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And we can prove it also in, in relation to the discourses. So knowing that it's speaking to three groups of people, when you go to Luke's discourse and it talks about the coming of Jesus. So it says, then lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. Okay. That is the pre-trib bride of Christ. And what does it say? Then what is it? Lift up your heads. Uh, and then you shall, what does it say? Uh, and then shall you see the son of man coming in the cloud or in a cloud very important coming in a cloud and when you see these things come to pass then look up lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh now it says in a cloud single cloud is everybody going to see him no his prepared bride will see him and recognize him it's just like other pieces in the scripture they're going to say oh it sounded like this or it sounded like that then what happens when you go to mark you have all the tribulation of seals taking place and you go to Mark's seeing Jesus coming. And what does it say? Then shall they see him coming in the clouds, plural. You see, why was Luke singular and Mark's was plural? There's a difference. So you're seeing them then come in the clouds and the conversation of that coming is very different. So, you have in, which means in the clouds. You have in, which means in a single cloud. But guess what happens in Matthew? In Matthew, it says, then shall all the tribes mourn. And then it says, and when they see him coming, and then what is it? They shall see him coming in the clouds. And you're like, well, that sounds just like Mark's. Because it says in the clouds. But do you know when you use the Strong's Concordance, and you use the program, like a beautiful free software program called eSword, and you can go in and see the different Strong's numbers, do you know that the word in found in Mark and Luke are the same in 
But remember, Luke's was a single cloud. Matthew's was plural clouds. But the word actually means in. Do you know what Matthew says? It says in the clouds. So if you were just reading your Bible, you wouldn't know there was a difference. But if you use the Strong's, you realize that Matthew's in doesn't mean in. It means on. Oh, wow. Could you imagine? Why didn't they just write on? I don't get it. There's things like this that unless you have the Strong's concordance, you'll never understand it. So what do we see? There's one event where he's coming on a single cloud. There's a second event where he's coming in several clouds and he's in them, meaning only those who are his and prepared will see him at that time. And in Matthews, he's coming on the clouds because what is it at the end of trumpets? The whole world will see him. And do you know what it says for that group at the end of Matthew's gospel? It says they're to go out and teach the ways of the Lord. But in Mark and in Luke, it says to preach. Well, why does it say to preach? And the other one says to teach. Because at the end of Matthew, when the Lord has returned feet down on the Mount of Olives, on the clouds, when everybody will have seen him, there will be no need to preach Christ anymore because he will be here. It will all be about teaching his ways. It's Amen. revealed in the Gospels. And so when you understand that pre, mid, and post are all true, it's a taking to, par uh, to the third heaven. It's a taking to paradise when he comes on heavenly Mount Zion, and it's his return feet down on the Mount of Olives at the end of trumpets. All of this begins within the 70th year of Israel becoming a nation. And we are in that 70th, in the Shemitah cycle, as we are speaking right now. And there are only two sevens left. Alan, that was a wealth of information, a wealth. And I'm sure a lot of people are still trying to process everything um, you've uh, discussed here. Would you pray for our audience uh, to get revelation knowledge from heaven um, and to want to be more in the word and to learn more from Holy Spirit and for the Holy Spirit to help them interpret as they read the word like the Lord has spoken to you? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Father, please, in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit that dwells in each and every one of us, guide them, lead them, open their eyes, open their ears, circumcise those hearts and give them the revelation to be able to see and to understand and let them feel that excitement. Let them feel that joy and that passion of diligently seeking you feels like by understanding you better by knowing you greater in your is to come, that we might prepare and help others now before the is to come, and that by the time the is to come begins, there will be many others left with this information to be better prepared and to not feel like they have missed the rapture, to not feel like they are just left out in the dark with everything that's going to come, but that this will bless many, many more to come as we share it with all who will listen in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you.
Are you looking for some deep believing, bold quoted Christian t-shirts, hoodies, or sweaters? Look no further. Visit myjesusfriend.com to get 10% off whatever you want when you enter promo code BELIEVER21. That's www.myjesusfriend.com.